Talk about giving honor to whom honor is due. And all I do, I honor you. Amen? You give honor to the Lord for all that he has done. I know some of you are thinking right now, we have plans for Mother's Day. And it looks like Pastor Dave is getting ready for a second sermon, right? <laughs> we'll be out on time, right? Uh, as long as on time is considered 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we'll be out. We're just normally early. Uh, but I do want to just uh, share three verses, really, from the book of Romans. But uh, to catch up with where we are in the book of Romans, we've been talking about what matters most, right? The gospel that matters most. And we've already gone through the doctrine of sin and understanding that we're sinners by nature, that we deserve to be punished for that. But then salvation is provided by God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. That begins a process of sanctification where we become more and more like Christ. Then we talked uh, about the security that we have because we're sons and daughters of him, so we don't have to worry about losing that salvation. And then we talked about uh, the selection, the balance between God drawing people to himself and uh, yet our need to respond in faith. And we talked through that. And for the last several weeks, we've been talking through the idea of service, what we've been saved to. Uh, we've, we've talked about presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, as a reasonable service. By being conformed, not to the world, but through the transforming of our mind, being conformed to what the scriptures tells us to be. Talk about using our spiritual gifts, and what love looks like inside the church and outside of the church, and even how to submit to our divinely placed authorities. This week, Paul is going to stay on the topic of love, but he's going to connect it to the Old Testament idea of law. And so let's read verses 8, 9, and 10 together of uh, Romans chapter 13, starting verse 8. We read, Oh, no one, anything except love, or except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, so powerful stuff in here, just a short, a short three sentences, right? But when we look at this, we realize there's a lot of powerful theology that comes, that comes out of that. So to get a little background on the law and what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about the law, if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, God gave the law in its original form in ten summarized statements, right, which we call what? Exactly, the Ten Commandments. So we have the Ten Commandments, and, and, uh, and so we find them first written in Exodus chapter 20, and we find ten different commandments. And I'm not going to walk through each of them at this point. Um, but ten simple commands for us to follow. And saying, if you're going to call, call yourselves believers in Yahweh, that was his, that's his name in Hebrew, then, then these were the Ten Commandments. That's why it's all the times called the covenant of the law. But remember, they didn't go straight into the promised land at that point. Remember, there was a lack of faith after Exodus, uh, Exodus 20 and Exodus 32. We read about that in the golden calf and the incident. And to make a long story short, they needed to build their faith a little bit before entering the promised land. So they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And then you come to Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is instruction before they go back into the land. And the Lord reminded them of the uh, uh, reminded them of this covenant that they had made, and that God 
Canaan made with Israel. So we've reviewed them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But in that time, uh, God gave a whole lot more detail. Instead of just giving them the Ten Commandments, He gave them explanations. And, and so what we find, we have the Ten Commandments repeated in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But now, following that, we have what we call the Covenant Exposition. Uh, what, what that is, is where, where He took every single one of those commandments and He went on and explained it. Right? That, that's pretty cool. Wouldn't you like to have that book? Well, guess what? You do. It's in Deuteronomy chapters 12 to 26. And one by one, he walks through each of the Ten Commandments and shows us what they mean. And that's where we get an, a real understanding of, of things like taking the Lord's name in vain is more than just not cursing. Right? Oftentimes we think oh, taking the Lord's name in vain simply means just using his name in a sentence. Well, taking his name in vain means a whole lot more than that. That's where we learn about what, what the, the differences between killing in, in times of war versus Versus killing someone, and, and, and we find it in the, in the covenant exposition. It's, it's, it expounds on everything that he had taught in each of those Ten Commandments. But that way, if you remember those Ten Commandments, you can remember all the things that God was requiring of his people if they wanted to live well in the land, right? And so that's, uh, that's uh, the, a summary of the law. But then we go to the New Testament, and Jesus, Jesus comes along and he summarizes the entire law. Really, two simple commands. Do you remember that? Two simple commands. In fact, if we look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that he, talking about Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. These were the two Jewish religious groups at the time. Right? The, the, the Sadducees were a little bit more liberal. They didn't believe in a literal resurrection. And uh, that's why they were sad, you see. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but then, then there were the Pharisees, and they were the ones who followed the letter of the law. They would add rules and add commandments and so on and so on. Verse 35, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he knew that there were people who, who had argued over that amongst the Pharisees, amongst the Sadducees. And if you could get Jesus to claim one, a certain one, then he just turned, made a bunch of enemies for him, Right? And, uh, and so, smart question. Verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Isn't, isn't Jesus master of the words? Taking something huge, bringing it down to something very, it puts the cookies on the bottom shelf, doesn't it? Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. You want, you want to understand the law? You want to understand everything that the Old Testament is really talking about? It really boils down to two things. Love God and love your neighbor. And when you look at that, you say, wow, that's, that's an interesting uh, concept. And, and you look at the Ten Commandments and you say, really, the first five, what are they about? It's about loving the Lord your God. What's the second five about? Loving your neighbor. Jesus, Jesus wasn't just throwing out, a, he wasn't starting a new doctrine. He was expounding on the doctrine that already existed, right? And so he's, this, that's what it's about. Love the Lord your God. Um, with all your heart, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And really, you could even, in a sense, summarize these two with one word, right? Because what word exists in both of these commands? Love. 
love. John tells us as well. By the way, here's an interesting caveat. I, I won't take too much of time, but here's an interesting caveat. When you look at the, at the Ten Commandments, oftentimes people will categorize the fifth one, honor your father and mother, and they'll categorize that into the second half. Right? They'll, they'll say, well, that, that has to do with, with the way we treat people, not the way we, we treat God. If you study scripture long enough, you know that God loves parallelism. He's a, you know, he's, he loves order. Isn't that true? He loves, he loves organizing. So it would just seem a little odd for me to, uh, to believe that God would put four for one and six for the other. But really, um, what we got is not in Exodus, not in Deuteronomy, not by Jesus himself, and certainly not here by Paul. Does he categorize in that way? He puts number five in the first one. See, starting with the with number six, all of those have to do with how we treat each other. But honoring your father and mother is actually an act of obedience to God. What did we learn just last week? Who's the one who puts the authorities in our lives? God does, right? So when we obey divine authorities, then we are showing our love to God. That's why when you look at the, the, the book of the covenant in Deuteronomy 12 through 16, and you read the section that has to do with honoring your father and mothers, it talks about obedience to your government, it talks about obedience to the prophets, the priests, the kings, etc. It goes into all of that, right? So you have one understanding of what it means to submit to the authorities that God has given you. That is your, your father and your mother. And then he shows how that applies in the rest of all of your, of your lives. But, and and then, we, then we come to uh, to the book of Romans, and Paul lists an exhaustive list of all of the commands that have to do with loving your neighbor. And do you notice he used all five of the ones that are on the right side of this list? He doesn't mention honoring your father and mother. I throw that out there because as we have a day, we're, we're honoring our fathers, or honoring our mothers, and we're, we're putting that into obedience. Uh, there might be some of you who say today, but maybe, maybe my mom wasn't an honorable person. Can you still honor that person? Yes. Why? Because honoring them isn't an act toward, of love towards them. Honoring your, your father and your mother is an act of reverence and love for whom? For God. Right? And so, uh, and so we see this, that, that really honoring, our, honoring the authorities that God's put under us is a way of honoring God himself. And that includes our parents. So that was a little caveat. That was a bonus. You don't have to pay for that. All right? So... You don't have to pay for it, either, but it's scripture. Uh, but that's uh, that's the, what we find in the the Old Testament. So now we go come back. That's the backdrop for, for the law. Now we come back to Romans chapter thirteen, and I'm going to have four observations of what love is described as according to Paul in these three verses. Just four descriptions of the love if you're keeping notes. But and two of them are found in verse eight. One we read, "Oh, no one anything except to love one another." For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. The first thing that we have to understand biblical love, we understand that love is the command. It is, it's the command that we receive. When we think of a command, what do we think? It's, it's, it's an obligation, right? It's not a suggestion, right? I don't want people to think that, that, uh, that traffic lights are suggestions, right? Like, that, you know, in Costa Rica, that's everybody. <laughs> uh, here, you know, it's not so much, but, um, but yeah, it's not suggest speed limits, it's not suggestions, right? Uh, 
Um, love is the command. It is something that we are, we're, we are told to do. Um, it's something that we can obey. By the way, this, just this concept right here, proves that love is not a feeling. Right? Have you ever tried to command someone to feel a certain way? Can, can you do that? I mean, how, many, how many husbands have had success? Maybe if, if your wife is struggling with something and you say, no, just don't feel that way. Anyone have success here? I don't see a single hand in the room, right? Of course, you can't do that. Because you, you can't command a feeling. So would, would, would God command us to feel a love towards everybody if it's impossible to do that? No. If it's a command, that means it's obeyable. I just made up that word. But it's obeyable, right? We can do it. And so, uh, uh, love then, as we learned in the previous weeks, is to put the needs of someone above your own, to seek the, the well-being for that person. Can we choose to do that even if we don't have that feeling of love towards somebody? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Love is the command. And so now sometimes our feelings, or our pathos, is, is not in line with our, with our thinking, I'll call it the logos. And so if you choose not to love someone because of, of your pathos, they, they call it pathological, right? You've heard that word pathological? That's what it means. It's when your pathos determines, uh, determines your actions instead of your, your logos, where we get the word logic from. So don't be pathological, be logopathical. And I just made up another word. <laughs> what, what I'm saying, it's the command. You obey first. Your heart can come around later sometimes. You know, but, but don't worry about the caboose. If, you, if the front, if the front, if the end locomotive is going in the right direction, the caboose will catch up eventually, right? But you have to obey first. And so the command that we have here is to love. Our, love our neighbors as ourselves. And they might not be very lovable. But we can love. Amen? Um, the second thing we notice in verse 8 is that love is the debt that we owe. Notice how, how he words it. I like the way he words it in, uh, in verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. So what is it? We owe it to each other. That means there's a debt. That's what owe means, right? We have a debt to each other. Now, does that mean that we only love people who have loved us first? Is that what it's saying here? And so, hey, if you owe somebody... No, he's saying that we owe a debt because who did what? Because of what Christ did for us. We owe that debt because of what Christ has done. See, if, if I owe a debt of love to people only because they had loved me first, then there could come a point where I'd say, hey, I already paid that debt, sorry. But we don't find that in Scripture. We find that we always owe the debt of love. Why? Because of how much Christ loved us. And now he's asking us to go and love everybody else. Right? And when I think about what Christ has done to love me, he's given me eternal life. So when is that going to run out? When should I run out of love for anybody in here, right? Or anyone out there, when should I run out of love for them? When Christ has given me eternal life, I owe them a debt of love. Amen? Amen. Love is the command. Love is the debt. Let me read Romans uh, 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in the saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as 
yourself. Thirdly, I would say that love is a root. What do I mean by that? Love is a root. Uh, it's the root of our obedience. Here's what I mean. He gives, he gives five examples, so we'll look at them. Uh, we look at the, the second half of the, the Ten Commandments, all of them. So he, he lists them all. Murdering. So no, the Bible says no murdering. Would you murder someone that you loved? It's just common sense here, right? Would you murder someone that you loved? Of course not. Why? Because if you genuinely love the person, you want what is best for that person. You're not going to murder the person. Or think, no committing adultery. Would you commit adultery against someone that you love? I mean, there's a lot of people harmed in adultery, right? Uh, if, assuming, you're, assuming you're married, you're, when you commit adultery with one person, you're saying, uh, you're being unfaithful to your spouse. If you love your spouse, would you be unfaithful to your spouse? And then you, you're committing adultery with somebody, and you're causing that person to offend God. If you love that person, would you help that person offend God and bring some judgment and wrath into their own life? No. And if that person's married, then you're also offending that person's spouse, right? If you love that, if you love your neighbor as yourself, would adultery even be an option on the table? It wouldn't be. And so what we find is love is the root of our obedience. If we genuinely love someone, we're going to obey. We're not going to kill them. We're not going to uh, commit adultery. How about stealing? Thou shalt not steal, right? That's what, uh, what we find. Would we steal from someone that we love? Stealing simply means they worked for it and I want it, right? Uh, and, and so we can steal from, from people, but not if we genuinely love them. Would we bear false witness against somebody? Would you say anything that would be harmful to someone because it's better for you if you love them? No, because love, by definition, means putting other people above yourself. And, and so Jesus is masterfully showing us how it all comes back in the last one. Thou shalt not covet. Regardless, covet your neighbor's stuff, covet your neighbor's wife, covet what. If your neighbor has something and, and it was something that you want, that you wish you had, um, then and you, you can covet that. But if you really genuinely love the person, how should you feel for that person? Now, there might be something that you, know, that, that you really want so bad and you find out someone else who only kind of wanted it got it. Does that ever happen to you? How do you feel? Do you feel like, man, I should have wish I had that? Do you, do you get grumpy? Or do you feel like, hey, I'm excited that this person got something. I know it's a joyful thing because I want that. Now he's got that. And you, do you rejoice with those who rejoice? Because if you can't rejoice with someone who's rejoicing, then you don't really love that person. Okay? And so, so here... Jesus took all of these and, and brought them down. And Paul's repeating this idea that love is the root of obedience. Because if you genuinely love somebody, then all of these options are sent out the table. Because we love each other. And we care for each other. And the last verse for today, verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Last thing today is that love is the law. Love is the law. The law, the idea has two connotations to it. There's the connotation of obligation and consequence, right? That's what makes a law a law. 
uh, there's got to be some type of obligation, uh, whether it's a restriction uh, or something that we have to do, and then some type of consequence. And here, he's like, love is the fulfillment of the law. It, it's an obligation. It's something that we, we have to do, right? It's, it's what we owe. And at the same time, it, there's a consequence for not loving. Why? Because we're not fulfilling the law anymore. And so if you want to know what God expects of us as believers, it's to love. Everything that we, everything that, now we have to keep in mind what we learned about love two weeks ago. Love does not mean blind acceptance, right? If you love somebody and they're, and they're headed for where the bridge is out, you're going to tell them that the bridge is out, right? That's love. It's not love to say, oh, well, if that's the direction you want to go, okay. You know, that's not love. So we want to be careful there. I'm not, I'm not going to confuse love with acceptance, Right? But love is when you selflessly look for what is best for the other person. Imagine if we as a church lived what Paul was talking about in these three simple verses. Imagine the change it would have in Kenwood, Michigan. If we didn't just show it here, but we showed it out there, right? He wouldn't talk. And imagine what that would do to Southwest Michigan. Imagine what that can do to mission and so on. I'll tell you, when believers grasp these three verses, it'll change the world. It'll change the world. Why? Because we follow the two simple commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's easy enough to understand, isn't it? It's a little bit harder to live out. What about you? I'm just going to ask two simple questions today. Two simple questions for yourself to flesh. Number one, do you love God? Or has something or someone taken his place? Do you love God? This is number one. Have you ever come to a point where you've accepted the gift that he has given to you? Because if not, number two, is it impossible? If you, if you do not have a relationship with God, trying to love your neighbor as yourself... If you say, I'm just going to start there. I'm going to start there and work backwards. Maybe I'll love God later. It doesn't work in reverse, does it? Why? Because we don't have the debt. You know, if, we, if we haven't been forgiven for anything yet, then how am I going to forgive other people? And it's going to boil down to I'm going to follow my sinful human nature. I'm not going to love. I'm going to be selfish, right? But only if we come to that point where we understand everything that Romans 1 through 12 was talked about in salvation... Only when we come to that understanding, have a relationship with God, that's when we'll be able to do number two, and that is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that brings me to the second question. Do you love everyone that God has put in your path? One of the things I like in Spanish is that there are two words for neighbor. There's vecino, right? And there's propio, right? And I see, I see some of my Spanish being friends shaking their heads. Yep, exactly. Uh, there's vecino and propio. Vecino has a connotation of those who live, their dwelling is somewhere near you, right? That's what vecino means. Prohimo, it comes from where we get approximate. So the idea is they live in your, or they're in your proximity. Prohimo is the, the word that means basically anyone that you come into contact with, right? Which of those is the definition here? It's the second one, isn't it? That's why in, in every Spanish Bible I know, it's amo a tu prójimo, isn't it? Why? We love everyone. Jesus gave a whole parable. They asked him, who's your neighbor? He gave a whole parable to understand. It was the parable of the Samaritan. The Samaritans, they hated Jews. 
Jesus explained how a good, the good Samaritan was the one who understood what his neighbor was and took care of a man in the time of his need. Right? Do you love everyone that God's put in your path? Again, I'm not talking about loving that feeling of love. But do you genuinely seek the benefit what is best for everyone? Even that boss that you teach. Right? Whoever, whoever. Are you loving everyone that God's put in your path? Let's, let's bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes. And I'm going to ask today, instead of having a time to come forward, I just want to do a time of self-reflection right where you're at. Right from your seats. And I just want to ask you first, is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Dave, I've never come to that point where I have accepted the love of God for me. I've never come to that point where I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you are unsure about that relationship to Him, I just want, I want you to know today's the day to take care of that. The gospel is very simple. It's the fact that we're sinners. We've done things to offend our God. But he sent Jesus Christ because he loved us so much to die on the cross for our sins. And if you would like to make that decision today, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as doing what we read in Romans 12. If we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised us from the dead, it says you will be saved. So even right now, if that's you, I would ask you to pray something in your own words, but something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have done things to offend you. But I believe that you sent your only son to die on the cross to pay for my sins. Today I accept that free gift. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer right now, at the end of the service, we have some people in the back that have a little thing that says, ask me. Or you can come talk to me at the end of the service as well, and I'll, I'll point you to one of them, and they can show you the next steps for you. But that's the most, the most important decision you've ever made in your life. So I want to talk to you before you leave. Secondly, for those of you who would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. That, that's not an issue in my mind anymore, but the Lord is putting it on my heart that I am not loving everyone I should. And maybe there's a person in your heart and person that God's putting in your mind right now and saying, I need to start showing love to this person. Would you right now, right where you're at, make a commitment from your seat that you are going to show an act of love to that person this time? Not because of the debt that, for, that you owe that person, but because of the debt that you owe to God. Just give you a few moments to make that commitment between.